Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 208 of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today we're doing an interview with Steve Aberg. I just want to remind everybody that over half our episodes are also movie discussions where the genre of the movies, the, the genre of the movie is decided by the role of a die. So I hope everybody goes through the back catalog and enjoys some of those movie discussions from episodes past and other interviews too. Otherwise, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Um, this is Steve, and I'm and today I'm bringing an interview with with Steve Aberg. And she was known for episodes in Batman, the original TV series, Mannix, the movies, The Teacher, Easy Come, Easy Go, and The Killing of Sister George, and many, many other things. Welcome on the show today, Ms. Berg. Thank you so much. You can call me Steve. Okay. <laughs> Welcome on the show, Steve. I'm glad to, I'm glad to talk to you, and I, we got to meet somewhat in a way, at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, you were kind of busy at your table, but I did get to see you and everything there, and I reached out to you, and you were willing to let me do the interview, and I'm so happy you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And before we get into your TV work and movie work and everything, I know you grew up in Sweden, and I'm just curious, what was it like growing up in Sweden? Uh, in Sweden, you know, because a lot of us in the United States, you know, never had a chance to grow up in another country, obviously, but what was it like growing up in Europe and in Sweden in particular? Well, I only know growing up in Sweden, I don't know what it's like growing up in other European countries. I guess it varies uh, from country to country, but it was uh, where I grew up. It was, it was a wonderful upbringing. Um, I grew up in the city where I grew up in, it's called Yevle, and uh, it had at that time probably a little over 60,000 um, in population. Now it's over 100,000. Um, but it was like a small, well, medium-sized city, I guess you call it. Um, and uh, it was great. I mean, it was close to nature. We, got, we went on our bikes and biked for about 15 minutes, and you were outside of the city, and... There were, there were cows and horses and uh, all of that. And we used to go out, um, I guess, summertime, you know, picking flowers and picking berries and like that. It was a, a, a wonderful time to grow up. And we, we used to play, um, like, in the streets outside. We used to play ball and we used to do, uh, and, and um, what do you call it, um, marbles like marble games uh-huh. and such and uh, no it it was wonderful and it was it was uh, safe you know it was totally safe we, i used to leave the house in the morning that this was even before starting school you know so i was maybe five six years old we used to get our bikes and go out and not come home until before dinner and uh, no telephones, no no mobile phones, no 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 way to to contact you know me to contact my parents or my parents to contact me. But it was just safe. We were no one no one worried about anybody. You know, it was so such a blessing to be brought up that way. Of course, now in my hometown, that's impossible. You can't do it now. It's not safe anymore. But it was a wonderful, wonderful upbringing. Mm. And uh, I grew up in an old house. The house itself, it had, it housed 10 families. And uh, we only had running cold water, no hot water. And uh, no, what we call like bathrooms with showers and tubs, no. Um, and we had an, an, an out, the, what is called the outhouse, the, yes. the toilet were in uh, in in the out uh, an outside wing from the from the house and there there were stores you know with doors and so on but for each family so that's where that, that was the toilet <laughs> and uh, the bath well where it was um, my mother was wonderful we used to go to the bath house once a week where they had the saunas and the steam baths and the, we got all scrubbed down and, and like that. And, and otherwise we had like a little, um, uh, like a, 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 a pail, not a pail, like a, like a 
yeah, a pail. And a pail is like a smaller, some kind of a little tub that we used to take sponge baths in during the week. So it was, you know, it was not luxurious or, or grand in any way, but it was just wonderful. And I was brought up with so much love. It was my mother, my father, and my sister, who was 12 years older than me, and I was the, 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 the runt. <laughs> and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful upbringing. I'm very grateful for that. Gave me a lot of stability in life, you know, to to have uh, that kind of love and support from the family. So, and you see, both my mother, and my father, they were they played guitar and sang. And my mother's uh, she had three sisters and one brother. And uh, on the weekends, everybody used to gather in, in our apartment. And there was a lot of singing and playing, and uh, so that oh, my father had was part of a trio, Uh-oh. and sometimes they came home and rehearsed at home, and he used to perform at you know, birthdays or anniversaries or club events, and so. So my my upbringing was just filled with music and singing, and uh, consequently, I started singing too. I learned how to play the guitar and learn how to sing to the guitar. And then I eventually was hired as a vocalist for a dance band. <laughs> and there were, see, there were four, the, the band leader was, was uh, we played the piano, and there were three other um, in, the, in the band, and me as the vocalist. So uh, I had, uh, how old could I have been? Maybe 17. 16, 17, 18 years old, something. So I got um, I got used to being on stage, and uh, so that never bothered me. I was uh, very comfortable on stage uh, in front of uh, people. That never bothered me, but what bothered me, I was, I'm basically very shy. So I'm, it always bothered me, like in, in small groups of one-on-one uh, um confrontations, if you will. I was very shy and very insecure, but on stage, that wasn't there at all. I was very comfortable. So, um, yeah, so that's that's how I grew up. And then eventually, um, I was, um, yeah, in school. I did very well in school. And then we had, uh, towards the the end of, I was hardly thoughtful school, and the basic um, um, education. Then you have meet. You had meetings with the curator, I guess you call it, who gave you advice as to what what you should concentrate on for further studies. And I was recommended to be uh, to go in the medical field to to be a doctor. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I had already started to perform and sing, and uh, and I also was with a kind of an amateur theater group who did musical theaters and traveled all around the area, where I, um, the county where I grew up. And I started to make some money, and that night I thought, oh my god, well, it was very interesting to to uh, go into the medical field because I was always interested in that. But I thought that, well, all these years of studying, at least seven years of studying and and uh, and stu- student loans and that, and um, I was kind of tired of school, so I decided not to do that. So I went in the, what do you call it, I took in, Bachelor of Arts degree instead. And then I went on to um, a school in Stockholm to study dermatology um, and skin therapy. So I became a skin therapist and worked with with skins and facials and corrections of certain skin problems and such. And that I loved because that was very close to the medical field. And... um, so um, with that, I moved away from my hometown and I moved to Stockholm. So I studied that about over a year. And then one day, um, at, uh, I had a break for a weekend. I was traveling to schools and, and uh, um, ladies' clubs and uh, 
and uh, department stores all over Sweden to give makeovers and skin analysis and advice to uh, basically women to um, how to take care of their skin and such. And then one weekend I was in uh, at this beach outside of Stockholm and um, and that beach was celebrating its 50th anniversary. And uh, this man came up to me and um, asked if I wanted to participate in this so-called beauty pageant that they were going to have um, uh, for the 50th celebration of the beach. So it was like the the, the bathing, okay, what do you say, like a bathing beauty that sounds was, that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's the direct translation but let's say the, the, the beauty queen of the beach whatever and I thought he was kidding I mean I'd never ever had any thought about that but I thought well so okay <laughs> I said might as well and uh, I ended up winning that pageant that contest and with that um, with the publicity and so uh, my my mother's um, brother's wife insisted on sending um, uh, sending my um, sending my information to the Miss Sweden pageant mm-hmm. because the Miss Sweden was was about to they were looking for for uh, girls to enter that and so she was insisting my mother you have to go we have to send me in the pictures and see we have to my mother was a little against it because she was uh, you know she she didn't want to um how can i say to put me in a situation where i would be disappointed in case i wasn't picked you know, as a as a contestant and and so I said, I knew that that, that wouldn't bother me because I, pro- I don't have a chance anyway, but, you know, go ahead and do it. So they did. And then I ended up being one of the eight finalists for the Miss Sweden pageant. And then I ended up becoming Miss Sweden. And this was 1964. And as Miss Sweden, then I was entered into the Miss Europe pageant, which happened to be in Beirut, Lebanon that year. So I got to travel all of a sudden a lot outside Sweden because uh, with the Miss Europe pageant, we all met in Paris, France, and then of course Lebanon, and then we were invited to Egypt. And uh, so I got to see part of the world, which was fascinating. And I ended up being second runner-up to Miss, U- Miss Europe. And then I came back to Stockholm and I had about three and a half weeks to repack and reorganize uh, everything and then uh, over to the United States to for the Miss Universe pageant. And again, we ended, we started in Paris and got together, got some of the other European um, a beauty contestants together and then we all flew over to New York and then we were in New York about about two weeks and we were invited to the Catskill Mountains for a weekend and I was this big luxurious country club it was then with uh, I mean everything was so brand new to me it was it was like we living in a in a, really in a fairy tale, and uh, and oh, and I remember in New York when we drove in the streets in New York, and I saw those big, big cars, like the American cars in the sixties. You know, they were really long, long cars with long fenders, and 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 then all the buildings, high, tall buildings, high-rise buildings. We didn't have anything at all like that in Sweden. And definitely not in my hometown, but even in Stockholm, not really. So it was so different. And uh, and then after New York, we stopped at Washington, D.C. We were there for a few days, and we had a, an invitation to the White House. So we were um, guided around the White House. 
And uh, and then from there, we went down to Miami Beach, Florida, where the pageant was. And that was another almost two weeks with uh, a lot of photo sessions. You had to get up really early in the morning, get the hair and makeup done, get the, 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 get the outfits, whatever it was. And then photo uh, shoots from morning to night. And we... Um, and there were different sponsors like restaurants and clubs and and cars and this and that. So we had to um, participate in the photo shoots for all these sponsors. And um, but we also wine wine. Well, I should say wine. You know, we were dined um, <laughs> in in many fancy places, lunch lunch restaurants and dinner restaurants. <clears throat> Just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous restaurants. And we were had the VIP red carpet treatments everywhere, so it was um, uh, something that I could never dream of uh, being able to experience, but I did, and I took it all in. And it was, but it was such a hectic schedule that you uh, you had to like you, you got to bed quite late at night and then up early and. All days filled with this, uh, these photo shoots and all that. So it was exhausting. It was really exhausting. And this was in the end of July. I think the pageant was the second of August in Miami Beach, Florida. So it was hot, hot, hot and humid. So actually, a couple of the girls collapsed. They had like heat, almost heat strokes. And so it was very. Um, how can I say it? It was very, very, very exhausting. But anyway, we went through it, and then, uh, and then the pageant was and it was televised, and I ended up third runner-up to Miss Universe, which to me also was unbelievable. And then after the pageant, I was invited to come to Los Angeles. I had met this lady um, journalist. She was a journalist for one of the Swedish. Um, or newspapers and um, so I went to Los Angeles on the 4th of August I believe it was and uh, and then I was there for two days and then she called me up and she said see you know Bob Hope is looking for you I said what <laughs> yeah we have in, in Los Angeles two uh, uh, magazines uh, dedicated to the film and TV business one is called Variety, and one was called The Hollywood Reporter. So in The Hollywood Reporter, there was a gentleman called Hank Grant who had a column, like a who's who column. And there, there was this little note in his columns, and it said, Steve Arberg, Miss Sweden, wherever you are, please contact Bob Hope. He wants you in his picture, I'll Take Sweden, which was the title of a, of a movie that Bob Hope was was making or producing at that time. So, and he thought he had seen the telecast of the Miss Universe pageant and thought it would be a good public relations stunt to have Miss Sweden in the movie. Yeah. So, so sure enough, the day after, we went down to the studio and a friend of mine knew uh, Louis Scher, who was Bob Hope's agent at the time. So he contacted Louis Scher and he said, oh yeah, we see Robert is here and... Uh, and I understand Bob Hope is looking for her. And Louis said, yeah, come down to the studio right away. So that afternoon, we all went down to the studio. I met Louis Scher. I met Bob Hope. And I was hired right then and there. And that's how I got my first movie role. I had been in 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 Hollywood or Beverly Hills. I put two days and had my first role in a movie without even, you know, without any effort of my And it was like a... Fairy tale story, you know. I think about all these, all these young people and men and women that come from all over the world here to Hollywood, hoping to get a role in the movie and working in all kinds of odd jobs. And, and there I was, just it's handed in my lap, you know. So uh, I'm, my mother always said, See, you're born under a lucky star. And sometimes I, I feel that way. <laughs> 
So anyway, so that's how it started. <laughs> so, uh, that was a long answer to how I grew up in Sweden. <laughs> I think we covered a lot, yeah. So. Well, I think you did, but the thing is, you covered a lot that I would never have known. I'm glad that you took the time yes. to go for it. Uh-huh. Do you still play the guitar? You know, when uh, <laughs> when I um, got into my the later teens, then you know, I, everybody wanted to have long fingernails. Right. So with that, I couldn't play the guitar any longer. Uh, I have a guitar here in LA, and I have a guitar in my in my uh, little summer house in Sweden. And now and then, I I, I grab it and say, "Well, I should you know start again because now I I don't have to have long fingernails anymore." <laughs> and uh, and then I take it and I I remember a few chords, but not really. And then I put the guitar away, and then I don't play it again. Then I maybe one day I'll pick it up again. Well, that'd be cool. And I just find it, I agree with your mom at the Lucky Star, because here you were at the beach and the gentleman came yeah. up to you and then everything just kind of, it was like dominoes falling in one of those, where everybody sets it up yeah. and boom, 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 boom. You end up in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And I, I amazing. It's amazing. And yes, yes. And when you yeah. were, when you were during the, the pageant type stuff, because I know nowadays, or at least for the last like several decades, it seems a lot of young women start when they're girls and work their way up in for the pageant. I know obviously you did not, but were there yeah. other women that when you were talking with them that they've been preparing for years and trying to win these pageants, or was it just different back in the 60s? Well, it's, it's different in in definitely in Sweden or maybe in most of Europe. Totally different than here, because here in America, the beauty pageants have it's like a, a an institution that's been around for a very very long time, and that the girls are are trained or groomed to be beauty contestants, and that's not at all the same in Sweden. I don't, uh, still not, because Sweden is a small country, you know, and uh, here in America it's so big and you have every state that that creates pageants for for, for the girls, the young girls, and they start with, with teenagers and, and little miss this, and so they get groomed very early, not in Sweden, and I don't think the rest of Europe either. I think it's very typical for America. And I think that approach, the European approach, or the other countries, I think is a better way to do it, and it, it, I think yeah. it's a healthier way of doing it yes. for, for everybody. Yes, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yes. And yeah. I'm just, I'm just surprised all that stuff happened. It's just, it's still blowing my mind. It, it, it's like, a, it's like <laughs> you said, it is, it is kind of like a fairy tale going on at, the, at all these events. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you, yep. so you got to work with Bob Hope and he was seeking you out. What was Mr. Hope like? Oh, he was, he was very kind, very nice. He was, uh, uh you know, well, sorry, there's a telephone ringing in the background here. Um, no, a very, very nice gentleman, very kind. And, uh, and um, yeah, so I did, let's see how I did. Oh, yes. So what happened was when um, when I had gotten the part and then there was a kind of a publicity um, cocktail party for, for when they invited newspapers and magazines to take uh, pictures and then um, I was there also and there was a picture of me and Bob Hope and I I was holding a Swedish flag and that photograph ended up in Time magazine. (laughs) (laughs) So so there I was in Time magazine with Bob Hope and I was holding a Swedish flag (laughs) as a publicity shot. Yeah. So, but he was very, very nice. And then he, I was booked again for his Christmas special, and that was later on that year. And that was with Glenn Campbell was the guest star there. So I got to work with with Bob Hope and Glenn Campbell on the Christmas special. So, 
Oh, no, the, it was, yeah. And she, Glenn Campbell, I just think of, you know, from True Grit and, of course, you know, a lot of his songs, like, it's, it's, just, yeah. it's just amazing how you got to work with both yeah. of them. That, that, yeah. is, that is awesome. Yes, yes. But you, <laughs> yes, but you also got to be in a movie with the king. Elvis Presley, yes, easy come, easy go. And how did that all come about? Because, I mean, you know, Bob Hope, Glenn Campbell, and suddenly, you know, just a couple of years later, Elvis Presley. I mean, that's just, it's like yeah. a, your magic ride continues. Yes. Well, with the, uh, with the party in easy come, easy go, I was, um, I think, I, mean, I did have an agent at the time, and I was submitted by the agent, and uh, and went for uh, an interview, and I was hired. And uh, it was it was not a big part; it was a smaller part. But it was in the party scene, and um, and I got to hug Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, uh, and you know, I was I was so shy. I was so shy. I didn't dare to speak with him or anything. I was so shy, but he was so kind in between the takes you know you have all the stars they have their own chairs you know like what you call the director chair with the canvas back with the name on the back of the chair you know mm-hmm. so the course he had his chair Elvis Presley so in between the takes he offers his chair to me so I can sit down in between the takes and wait so I mean, that's the kind of man he was he was so loved by everybody on the set he was like a perfect southern gentleman he treated everybody the same from the person who was sweeping the stage to the producer and director he treated everybody with the same respect and it was always yes ma'am yes sir and uh, and they just loved him so so yeah that's the kind of person he was i had just had the greatest admiration for for him as a person so it's just, I'm just thinking about it. You got, you know, Elvis Presley of all, you know, even though you couldn't, you were shy, you couldn't really speak to him. You still got to do all these different things with him, like hug him. And of course, obviously you must've talked to him when he offered you the chair and that kind of stuff. You- yes. Yeah. But it was like minimal. <laughs> it was like, Thank you so much. And like that. But I was, uh, I was too shy to, to, to start a real conversation, you know, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Had I, had I known then what I know now, I should have talked to him more. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, where you always look like, oh, I wish I could have did this or that. Yes. But whatever you were doing, it seemed to be working for you. So it's yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And now <laughs> I was gonna say some of the stuff I only know because it's like on IMDb. So there might be things that you know that I don't know. Um, you know, when I did my research and things like that and, and looking at stuff, but I'm not sure what exactly came next, but in, in IMDb would be, you were able to do an episode in I spy with Robert Culp and uh, Bill Cosby. Yes. And yeah, that, that, that came, that came later. Actually what happened. So when, um, if I backtrack a little bit here, so after the Bob Hope movie, um, and then I stayed in Los Angeles until the end of November, that year, as you say, from the August 4th till the end of November. And, uh, and through the Bob Hope movie, I was, um, then I got my Screen Actors Guild card and I got, uh, I applied for my green card, you know, my, my status. Um, and um, and that I had the green card in six weeks. It was before the quotas came in, so it went very quickly then. And so while I was here, I did a, a segment, I did another movie called uh, that funny feeling with Sandra D, Bobby Darren, Donald O'Connor. I had a small part in that. And then I did a segment of a TV series called The Rogues with uh, uh, David Niven Jr., Gig Young, and Charles Boyer. 
And in that segment, I was a beauty contestant. <laughs> and with me was Raquel Welsh, also a beauty contestant. We had kind of the same part. And then I think there was the year after, one or two years, I think it was the year after when she went off to Europe, to Italy, and that's when she became a big star. So... So anyway, so then, so in November, I went back to Sweden and I stayed until the following years Miss Sweden was chosen. And then I went with her as an assistant chaperone back to New York and Miami um, for the Miss Universe pageant. And then after that, then I stayed in New York and I lived in New York for about 14 months. And I did basically television commercials there, nothing big. But then I wanted to get into the movie and television industry more. So I, then I moved out to Los Angeles in the fall of 66. And then <clears throat> I, uh, and it was about that time, end of 66, I think, was that the first time I did Batman? I believe so. And the producer for Batman suggested me that, you know, why don't you go and, and take some acting classes? So he recommended this acting teacher, Peyton Price, who lived here in North Hollywood. So I um, started studying with him. And uh, so this was, let's say, in end of 66, in January of 1967, there was another pageant going on every year that was sponsored by the makeup artists and hairstylists of Hollywood. And it was called the Hollywood Star of Tomorrow or also uh, the Deb Star Balls. There was the Deb Star, Debutante Stars and the Hollywood Star of Tomorrow. So I entered it and I won that. <laughs> 1977. I had... Uh, and then from then on, then, then that's when like, I did another Batman and then all the series. Uh, and within the next couple, three, four years, I did a lot of this. A lot of the series. I did the, as you said, the Batman. I did two, two segments of the Batman. I did Hogan's Heroes, I Spy. I think I Spy came a little later, actually. Um, MASH. I was a semi-regular on Latvian. I was uh, I, I was about to become a regular on the Red Skelton show, and um, and I worked on the Carol Burnett show. Um, yeah, a lot of these kind of entertainment shows that, that went around in those days. Yeah. Well, to go back to Batman, because you were in, um, like you said, a few episodes. And um, mm -hmm. for those for those that, that, that want to look back to see, the first two episodes you were in were in season two, episodes 15 and 16, The Devil's Fingers and The Dead Ringers. And you were one of the helpers for the, the bad guy, Liberace. Liberace, exactly. Yeah, so it was like a double speech, a double two-part um, show, yeah. And so what was it like? We're doing those episodes because you got to work with Liberace, Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and so on. And, and of course, your character was Mimi and your your teammates were Doe and Ray. So Doe, Ray, yes. me. Uh, obviously, everything was yes. going full music theme. Yes. Yes. And um, I'm, yeah, it was fun. We were like the three, the three ladies with the group um, as the um, as Liberatis, uh, I was calling henchwomen, is that what you're calling it? I think so. Anyway, it was fun. It was fun. But there was one incident I remember because we were dressed in a harem costume and we were all lined up doing kind of a harem dance. And I was the last one in the lineup. And there was one episode where there was a door that was being, um, uh, that was, yeah, that was behind me, and the door was to explode and fall down. And I don't know if that was where Batman and Robin came in through or how it was. But anyway, I was standing there, and the door exploded and landed 
right behind me. I could feel the wind the draft from the door, and I saw the the um, the crew members, you know, the grips and the people that had arranged for that explosion, and they all are shocked. <laughs> so it was so close at the door for the door to have hit me. So everybody then took a deep sigh of relief when they saw that I wasn't hurt and it didn't hit me. <laughs> so, but I was, yeah, I just felt the draft and I figured, well, well, that was probably the way it's supposed to be. So I didn't, I didn't have any reaction. Or, I didn't get scared or anything. I just, oh, well, they know what they're doing and I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> and yeah, so that was, that was the one memory that stands out from that that show <laughs> well that that was lucky yeah i know exactly the, the part of the scene you're talking about and because uh, you guys are distracting the police officer with your dance and so yeah and that's when the explosion happened and right uh, but uh it, yeah and you're and you're right you obviously did not have any fear in your face at all and I, I, no. Of course, watching it i didn't know how close it was to you until now so now next time i watch it i'll just be I'll be watching to see where does the door land? How close, you know, I'm curious to see, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yes. It just goes to show you that sometimes the special effects people, they plan these things, but sometimes things get, uh, go a little bit different than they were expecting. Yes, it can happen. I guess it has happened many a time, but this time it went well. Yeah. And, the other yeah. episode you were in was in season three, episode 10, Surf's Up, Joker's Under, and you played Undine. And yeah. you got to team up with the Joker, Cesar Romero, I mean, the Latin lover. Yeah. What, what was he yes. like? Oh, uh, Cesar, who is very charming. I actually had met him <clears throat> before at some one of these, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at some kind of a, a Hollywood gathering, charity, ball, something. So I had, I had met him to say hello before. So, But he was he was very, very charming. But then he was in character with the Joker makeup and so on. Not at all the Latin lover that he was <laughs> that he was known as. So, so, and he went all in for this character, like a, uh, a cartoon uh, um, interpretation of the Joker. So well, we had fun. And... <clears throat> And it was, we um, filmed it on the beach. So that was lovely too. It was all, um, you know, part of it was in the studio, but part of it was on the beach. So, yeah, no, that was, that was great. And it was, and then I was, I was like the female, you know, the female, I guess, almost lead, if you will. <clears throat> As the, the first one with Liberace, I was one of three. But this time it was just me, you know, so the part was a little bigger. And But everybody remembered that scene because it was before mobile phones or anything. And I, I was talking into a hot dog, like the hot dog was a mobile phone. So that everybody remembers, oh, yeah, that's when you were talking into a hot dog. <laughs> and even Adam West uh, had a, <coughs> a line that said, oh, there's this girl here. Oh, you mean the one who's talking to a hot dog? <laughs> so... That was kind of, uh, yeah, became a, a <laughs> became something that everybody remembers. It is a funny scene with a funny line because you know you you are talking to the Joker with the hot dog and and somebody said there's well I think it was Commissioner Gordon said something about like oh she's trying to she's inconspicuous right there and, and Batman goes do you mean the woman that's at the counter talking to the hot dog? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that, that had to be funny. Uh, you know, just, just. I mean, what, you know, what were you thinking when they gave you? They said, "Okay, talk into the hot dog." I mean, did that something that just made you, you know, just think like, "Okay, I'll just do it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was. Well, it was something strange. It was Batman. It was, it was Batman. Everything was cartoon and cartoon characters. Sure, I thought it, but the the hot dog is a telephone. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you, you, like we said, you did a lot of different TV work, but eventually you got to do a movie where you were in the killing of Sister George. And, yes. and, and how did that come about? 
Well, that was also, I went to a, 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 an interview. I was sent to by my agent and got that part. You know, you go in, you read for it, and then they had to call you back or not, and I, I got the part. And, and so, and what was it like working for director Robert Aldridge? Well, and I'm trying to remember if there were any particular incidents or anything particular I remember. But not really. I just did when he did my scenes. But I know he was uh, he was always there, and he was uh, he was very nice. And uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I guess, <coughs> I know, I guess talking so much, my throat is getting dry. <coughs> but um, no, I, I I have only pleasant memories but nothing that really no no incident that stands off. Just remember he was very nice. Oh I remember then at the casting call, I mean the, the closing rap party, if you will, when the film was finished and there was a a, a rap party, everybody, the whole cast and crew came and and Barry Reed, uh who was the female lead and she got a big box from from uh, as a present and as a memory from the film. And she opened it up, and there was her clothes, her wardrobe from that film. And she played like a real, it was real dowdy, dreary English old lady clothes. <laughs> <laughs> she started laughing, and everybody was laughing because that's something that she would never ever wear. <laughs> and it was kind of a fun great thing that he gave to her so yeah that's kind of what i remember and just to go back to tv for a second you you were able to do multiple episodes of rowan and martin's laughing and yes and that show i remember seeing in, in in reruns and things like that it's just what was it like to be what was the vibe like the atmosphere when you're on when you're on with all those different people that they had. I mean, it was just basically like a who's who of comedians and other people showing up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was great, and I was always in the party scene when I, um, I had scenes with Dick Martin. Uh, always at the party scene, we exchanged some uh, dialogue. And you know, little, you know, there were little snippets here and there from the show, but I did several of those with him as my um, dialogue partner. Mm. But um, it was a great show. It was the whole the whole atmosphere. It was sort of a party atmosphere. Everybody was uh, happy, and it was light and easy, and nothing serious. You know, it was. <clears throat> It was a fun show to do. It always seemed like it when you're watching it, that everybody's having a good time and it just makes you as an audience member watching it on TV or whatever viewer, yes. just, just enjoying yes. the vibe that's happening. Yes. Yes, exactly. No, 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 that was fun. <clears throat> now it was around this time where you actually did a horror film, you know, Doctor yes. Doctor Death, Seeker of Souls. Yes, that's the one and only horror movie that I've done, and uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. It was actually a, a Motown production. I think it was uh, a Barry Gordy who had this um, had a film production company, but it was Motown was not mentioned in in the in the production of the movie there was well his name was mentioned but I know he was it was one of his uh, uh, branches if you will but um, yeah it was fun it was uh, it was interesting that in uh, one of the scenes this woman who was very jealous of me threw acid in my face so like half of the face was destroyed by acid 
And the makeup man who did, he did a plaster imprint on my face and then did the, uh, the half of the face totally burnt by acid. And uh, he was very talented and uh, he was very scary looking. But then eventually uh, he was the hairdresser of, um, of my boyfriend at the time. So my boyfriend used to go to his house and, and, and get his hair cut. And there in the closet, in one of his closet, that was the face, my face, <laughs> my plaster. So I said, oh, then I said, well, I would love to have that as a memory. But then I thought, no, I don't think that the energy of that or the vibes of that would sit right with me to open my closet and see my half of my face burnt up with acid. So I declined. So I didn't take it. Now I, I wish I had. I mean, I could have put it in the box and put it away, not have to look at it every day. But uh, anyway, that's what happened. Yeah. So, so was that some Siegfried Geike? Pardon? Was that Siegfried Geike or Geeky um, who did the makeup? No, that doesn't ring a bell. All right, I was uh, just I was just looking at the um, the IMDb credit just to see, and I was just like, oh, maybe that's the person. Um, yeah, no, I think this one, this man did just the special effects <clears throat> makeup. He didn't do the the regular makeup of the actors and, and actresses, but he did the special effect. And right now, I cannot remember his name, but you know, he he was like a special effects. Uh, uh, makeup person, and sadly, they don't list the special effects person on here. No, so. not at all. Maybe they do it like in the credits at the end of the movie, but not the, not in the breakdown on uh, um, there on, online. No, <clears throat> I, I, you got to work with one of the three Stooges in this film, Mo Howard, yes. in his final film, yes. and. Um, I know because when I was watching the film, I was like, oh, good, you're both in the same scene. Because I was, you know, because sometimes at these films, you know, there's people listed in the credits, but you're never, you never work the same days and that kind of stuff. And I'm uh-huh. like, uh-huh. so what was it like working with a legend? I mean, you've worked with so many legends. I mean, but here. I know, I know. And I had no idea who he was. You know, I, I wasn't brought up in this country. I didn't watch, I hadn't watched this old television shows and television shows. I had no idea who he was. But I know that he got a lot of attention from the people on the set. And he was this little, little man, really nice, but wanted to be funny. So you could tell that he was, uh, I guess, was, was used to um, cracking jokes or whatever. But um, not, not, uh, Overly so, but you can tell that he was, that was kind of his demeanor. But like I said, I had no idea who he was. So, so we just did the scenes that we were supposed to do, and then that was it. I just find it kind of funny. You know, it's just, you know, it's interesting how, you know, people come across though, but you, you can't, I think it's actually better you didn't know who he was because in that way you're just treating somebody as you would normally, just like he was treating you. Like yeah, no, and then you yeah. get an idea what the person is really like. Where sometimes, if you come into a situation expecting people to be a certain way, you could be um, happy or sad with your um, impression of them. And here, you had no baseline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But That's right. But it was an interesting movie. You know, it was. It was. Uh, I was. I was watching I, some of my friends who like horror films. They hadn't seen it yet, and I said to them, "Oh." You should you should try it out and give and give it a go. It's you know, and, and a lot of them uh-huh. knew it because of being Mo Howard's final film, but they didn't know, you know, much else about it. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It was an interesting storyline, but yeah. And but, yeah. what was like Doctor Death, John Constantine? I mean, he was just he was playing it so over. Um, so he was oh, he yes. was going for it. <laughs> Yes, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> yeah, but that's, um, I guess that's, that's, that's what they do. <laughs> and the character that he played, too, he was uh, so over the top. <laughs> but he was very effectful. 
Well, it yeah. was. I mean, it fit the character. It was nothing wrong. It was just. It was just like wow. You know, you it, it, when you get done this movie, you are going to remember Doctor Death. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you were also in the teacher. Yes. And and some of these films that you're in, like the, the killing of Sister George and the teacher, these are films that are um, hitting topics that you don't norm that you would not normally see at the time they came out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they weren't like g- grand movies with major movie stars in them. No, it was smaller, smaller films. But um, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy to get, to get parts in the movies. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, I think I, yeah, I think I saw a snippet on YouTube. I was checking out YouTube the other day. And there, there was this, uh, a, a, a snippet of a cut from this, one of the scenes that I had there. So it was fun to see, yeah. And, 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 mm-hmm. again, and again, any memories when you were doing the filming of it and, and working on it at all? Um, nothing, nothing that stands out, no. Um, no incidents that I can think about that Because uh, I just remember, you know, when I saw the parts of it, you know, I couldn't find the whole thing, but I could find parts. Um, Anthony yeah. James as Ralph Gordon. Uh, it, it was just menacing, you know, I think because of his height and the, and the way he was playing it and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So it was just kind of interesting watching his screen presence. Hmm. Uh, from the teachers, you mean? Yeah, from the teacher. Yeah, because he plays oh. he plays the um, <laughs> the, per, the the antagonist, you know, and the and of course, oh, of course, okay. you could also say the the um, the teacher plays an antagonist because of what she's doing with in, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. No, I don't. I didn't have any scenes with him. I don't think. Or if it was a scene around the pool, because I basically had that pool scene. Maybe he was sitting at the table with Angel Thompson. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it's hard, to, the truth. No, it's hard for me. Like I said, I wasn't able to find the whole film. So it was just, that's, that's so it's one of those things. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not as sure. But, mm. but I am sure that you were in the silent movie and I'm sure you have had some experience of Mel Brooks. Oh, I adored Mel Brooks, and he was such a perfectionist. I mean, he was a really hands-on producer, director. I mean, he had a camera, like a video camera set up. So before they actually went to film every scene, he played it on a video to see how it was going to look and if everybody was standing in the right position. So he he had to check that out first, and once that was okay, then they went to shoot the, the regular uh, the the regular movie, the regular scenes. So and um, he was, um, you know, he was also very very professional and very nice and pleasant to everybody. Really, very. But I I admired his uh, his uh, uh, his his tenacity to make sure everything was just right the way he wanted it. So yeah, nice man. A definite, a definite legend and a genius when it comes to yes. comedies and films. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now it was around this time that you started working on the Gong Show. Uh huh. Yeah, I started when we see seventy six, seventy seven, seventy six, seventy something like that. Yeah. 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 And that was like this, and that was <clears throat> that was a Chuck Berry's production. I had done several things with Chuck Berry's. One of the first things I did when I came out to Hollywood was I became I was a regular on a show called Operation Entertainment, which was kind of a USO show filmed within the United States. This was during the Vietnam War era. And uh, we filmed at military bases all over the country. So I got to see a lot of the United States during that show, uh, which was great. And um, the, the, at the end of the show, 
the ending was that we always brought back brought back a soldier that had just landed, hadn't seen his family yet, and we brought his family on on the set so that they met for the first time on camera. Sometimes it was parents, sometimes it was the wife, sometimes it was a baby that I had never seen that had been born been born while uh, while he was in Vietnam. So it was kind of a tearjerker ending, and that was really very nice. I think it went for two seasons. So that was the first series I did with Chuck Berry. And then after that, he did the game show. He produced the game show called The New Treasure Hunt. And I was a regular on that one. And then when that folded, that's when the gong show happened. So, uh, yeah, so I, I knew him well. And uh, and uh, we were friends. And, uh, you know, so I, I worked with him quite a bit. And uh, I knew his wives and uh, <laughs> like that, so. I was going to say, I, I loved watching the gong show growing up. You know, it was just one of those oh, things. It was just crazy. It was great. It was crazy. You never knew what anybody was going to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really crazy. So. And, mm-hmm. and you always are hoping for certain panelists to be on your, that episode you were going to watch. And like, when you saw them, you're like, oh, you know, you're going to get some fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There were some good panelists. Of course, JT Morgan. She was like the regular, and she was quite outrageous at times. And uh, yeah, and Jamie Farr was on a lot, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and Jamie, of course, was a regular on Mash, so we worked together that year. Um, and what was it like working on Mash? Because you were in the the one episode, uh, was it Dear Dad, the part three? Because it was like the third time that. Um, Hawkeye's character was writing a letter to his dad, which was what the episode was based around. And Yes. Yeah. I had just a small part. It was at the very end of the show that we filmed. They had set up the like the camp uh, just, I think, around Agoura, just outside of L.A., in a desert-looking area, and that's where the whole set was built. So we filmed out there for, for this one day. So I just had, you know, I was there for one day and uh, had the scenes uh, with Alan Alda and, uh, and like that with the group. So it was, yeah, it was fun. It was fascinating. It had a kind of the, um, the outfit was that of the, uh, what do you call it, like the green material, cotton, like like the war outfit. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was nice, you know, to me, again, it was uh, fairy tale <laughs> so oh. nothing special stands out like no incident uh, over the ordinary that I can think of no well yeah I just remember you, you came in at the end and they had you playing a stretch where you were playing the, the, the Swedish Red Cross member or something yeah. like that and Wayne Rogers brought you in and it's like you said you right. come in you come in at the near near the very end Yes, exactly. And, uh, oh, yeah, and Alan Alder was singing, he's making whoopee, and my my comment to him, what is this, making whoopee? <laughs> 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 and, yeah, and then, um, yeah, he said something, I don't remember, but that was the scene. Yeah, people remember it, people remember that, uh, that line. <laughs> You, you remember yeah. the line. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, because it's 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 only been, it's been it's been a while, but I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. One of your yeah. one of your last things was you were involved in the miniseries, The Winds of War. You know, you're on one of yeah. the episodes, and that and I remember watching that when it first aired, and everybody, I think virtually everybody was watching it because it was it was like must see TV. Every night it was uh-huh. on, and what was yeah. it, what was it like doing that Dan Curtis production? Well, it was basically a dinner at the White House, and I played uh, the, the Princess Martha of Norway, I believe. And uh, there was a discussion of uh, about the war and massing troops or whatever. But it was it was nice. It was uh, everybody were dressed in it in the clothing of the era, and I remember it was, it was uh, 
um, to the detail with the ladies with the dark red nail polish and and um, yeah and with uh, with the, the waters and the custom like I say it was just that one scene that I was in around that dining table so um, again you know, the, 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 what I found fascinating, interesting was the clothing, was the the, the, the costumes, or the fashion at the time, and the hairstyles, and so on and so forth. So, but it was like I say, also it was just the one scene. I think it was just the one day suit, one or two days, I don't recall, but it was very short anyway. So, um, well, you're still part of history with that. You know that that production. That's that's the amazing thing. Working with Bob Hope and Elvis Presley yeah. and and so on and all these different yeah. things. It's just it's just amazing. Mel Brooks. I mean, the, the list goes on. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know. Yes, I've had the great fortune of working with some legends in, in the industry. Absolutely. So after you. Ended your or ended your career in acting, or what? What did you take up and start doing then? I mean, what if you don't mind me asking? You know, where what have you been up to since? Well, yeah, what happened was that uh, you know, for the the money I made, I invested in the house. So I bought a house, mm, and uh, and then as as time went on, and as I you know, did better and better. Then I sold that house and bought another one and I fixed the houses up while I lived in it. And then I bought a third one, you know, so it was a little larger house each time and I fixed them all up and this last house, I had added uh, a room and built a garage and did the landscaping and put in electric gates and swimming pool and all of that. And then, when I was kind of burnt out because it was the gong show that burnt me out, <laughs> I, guess I felt I was stuck in that, uh, in that, uh, in that song. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I had a chance to really um, stretch and expand my own craft. And, and then I kind of lost the interest and then I, said, well, what should I do? Well, I'm good at with houses, finding houses, remodeling houses. So I took my real estate license in 1980. Now, the last film I did was in 83. It was called Dropout Father with Dick Van Dyke. But uh, I had already started uh, working in real estate, and, uh, and that's what I did primarily um, since then. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to say, let's see, did I do anything else? So, and I did, did a couple of things in Sweden, but nothing here. Commercials? Maybe commercial. A couple of commercials. I've done about 50-some commercials, TV commercials over the oh. years. So, um, yeah, then I kind of dove into the real estate. And that was creative for me because I... I enjoyed the um, the remodeling of houses, but then eventually it just became just real estate. But I was good at matching people with houses, so that was kind of satisfactory. And then because I've redone, redone the, my own houses, I learned property management. So then I did property management for a client that bought several houses that in Malibu with you know real multi-million dollar properties that I managed, and then I did property management for the Church of Sweden for their um, um, pastors' residence and so on. So I did a few things like that. That that's that, that's pretty amazing. Where you were smart enough to take the money you were earning at the time in the seventies, invest it in the houses. And then yeah. basically renovating them, and I guess nowadays we call it flipping and flipping the house. That's right. <laughs> but I, but, but my flipping time was not quick; just months. It was like a few years. I stayed in each house, so I took my time flipping. 
Well, it worked for you. Everything. It, it's it's it, your mom was so correct. You know, it's that it, it, things seem to yeah. work for you in a positive way, and I think it's because you you do things in in, in such a nice way, in a good way that you're being rewarded yeah. for being the person that you are. Mm-hmm. I believe so. I believe so. And I think in life, I think your attitude is is number one. You know, but in any situations, you have two choices. Uh, it's like you say, you look you look at the at the glass that's half. You can say the glass is half empty or half full. Well, if you choose to look at it as half full, you know, then you can only go up. If you say half empty, then you can only go down. <laughs> so, uh, and I have I'm, I have a, a positive attitude and uh, um, and uh, that has helped me a lot in life and I think that comes also from my my upbringing and from being uh, raised in a family with so much love that gives you kind of a, a support a kind of an inner inner uh, security mm-hmm. in life I think yeah I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to um, let me talk to you about your career. I, I mean, I'm fascinated about the stuff that you talked about early on. The first 20 minutes we were talking about just Sweden and how everything all happened to me. That's it's like a movie right there, a book, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yes, it, um, <laughs> yeah. There are lots of lots of little things, so I I, I think I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think you should. And again, uh, we'll say our proper goodbyes in just a second, but, but, but then the episode, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, joining me and, and, and letting people learn more about you. Mm, my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And I just want to remind everybody, if you want to follow along with more of what See the Bug is up to, you can follow her on Facebook at friend at fans and friends of Steve Abeg. It's her new Facebook page that she started up a little while ago, and that way you'll know when when she has different appearances and things like that that are going on. So I hope you give a like and a follow to that on Facebook. And again, if you have any feedback for us on the show, please send us an email at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. I hope everybody's having a good day. And to end the episode, we're going to listen to the Batman TV show theme song. Goodbye. (laughs) 